When our kids uh, were younger, we'd often find ourselves playing hide and seek around our house. And uh, it's amazing when you allow yourself to fully engage in a good old fashioned game of hide and seek, how uh, the space around you kind of comes to life in, in a fresh way. And uh, places that were normally these sort of ordinarily ignored or, or ordinary parts of your home, uh, suddenly they kind of have this awe and wonder about them and they become the object of your attention. And, you know, for whoever is seeking, every step or creak throughout the house is kind of filled with anticipation as you look under tables or, you know, behind couches or pull back curtains, bathtubs, wh wherever you're looking. And it all kind of culminates with this uh, surprising joy when you finally pull back the right curtain and find uh, whoever it is you're looking for. And uh, although as a family, uh, we hadn't played any hide and seek for a while that I could uh, recall, a few weeks ago, uh, we actually found ourselves playing uh, an outdoor version of hide and seek that is called Ninja Vanish. It's actually a, a version of hide and seek that our kids learned at Camp Crossroads. And if you're not familiar with Ninja Vanish, how it works is that the person who's it has to stand in a stationary spot in the yard and they're gonna, they have to stay there as they look. And they close their eyes and they count down from 20. And as they do, those who are playing the role of ninja, they have to stay within the vicinity of the yard and generally within the sight lines of the person who is seeking, but they do their best to hide behind something to try to vanish. So in this particular round, I was it. And as I was looking around, I, I couldn't see any of my kids or my wife anywhere. They were hidden pretty well. And it was taking quite a while. And it kind of got to the point where I realized that unless I was going to move around, uh, what some might call cheating, but I'll play the dad extra grace card. Uh, unless I was going to move around, I wasn't going to find anybody to finally bring the round to an end. When all of a sudden, our five-year-old let out a hoot sound to try to give me a hint uh, to his location. So I kind of looked in that direction. It was at the side of our house where there's a bush kind of near our, our chimney and whatnot. And I was looking, but I, I still couldn't see him. Then he made the sound a couple more times. So I kind of started, you know, taking a few steps in that direction. And as he continued to do it, I became confident that he was hiding with his mom and she was the one egging him on, getting him to do this only to poke fun at my incompetence when it came to seeking. So at that point, I decided I was going to turn the tables of surprise on these ninjas, creep up on them, and kind of jump into their space to scare them. So as Beckham kept making the sound, I came close to this bush. And once I got to the point where I kind of knew they were right behind, still they couldn't see each other, I took a deep breath, I jumped behind the bush, and I said, gotcha. And in that moment, to my surprise, I saw Beckham all by himself. And in an instant, he just went white with terror, and then yelled the loudest, most ear-piercing, high-pitched, blood-curdling scream, louder and longer than any five-year-old should be able to. I was trying to calm him down as this person who's supposed to love and care for him has freaked him out. And in that moment, um, I realized at least two things. One, Beckham wasn't going to be interested in playing Ninja Vanish again anytime soon. And two, I probably needed to start calculating uh, how much therapy I would cost him when he was older. So obviously, uh, not all games of hide and seek and enjoy, some end in fear and terror, apparently. But I share all of this because I think uh, in our lives, in us all trying to sort of figure out this life thing together, the things we're pursuing or that we're after, and in the highs and the lows, I wonder sometimes how much life feels like this big old game of hide and seek. 
Because I believe uh, whether we're always aware of it or not, or we're intentional about it, sometimes it's deliberate, sometimes it's haphazard. I believe that we're all searching for and seeking something. And there's this country song on the radio uh, these days. It's actually Canadian artist, Aaron Goodwin. Uh, there's a line in the chorus that says, we're all hurting and we're all searching in bars and churches. We're all hurting and we're all searching in bars and churches. And I like that line because I think there's a lot of truth in it. Whether it's in the places of sort of pleasure and escape and indulgence, or it's in the places like this where we expect to find meaning and answers and purpose or spirituality. It's as though we're all looking for something and it often is born out of a place of hurt or, or dissatisfaction in some way. And I think if we're really frank with ourselves, uh, more often than not, uh, to quote another musical theologian that we know as Bono, uh, for most of us, we still haven't found what we're looking for. And that brings us to our question uh, this morning, which is simply, what are you looking for? What, what are you seeking in life? And as we begin this refreshing faith series, maybe you're, you're kind of brand new to all of this. Maybe summertime, maybe a friend invited you to church and you're even here for your first time and you're not sure about church or a life of faith or what Jesus is all about, but you are looking for a refreshing kind of life in some way or to refresh your life in some way. Or maybe uh, you've been here for a long time. A lot of us, that's the case. And uh, this stuff is kind of normal for you and routine. And you feel like you've even been full of faith for a long time. But still, in the process, there's bumps and bruises. There's times where it feels like our faith might be becoming a little bit unhinged. And if we're honest with ourselves, kind of a refresher on this whole thing probably wouldn't hurt. And that's what this series is all about. And as we start this morning, as we talk about what we're seeking in life, I want to talk about the fact that I believe that the first step to a life of faith, but also an important part of the process of a life of faith, is all about seeking. Because the big idea this morning is that a life of faith begins with and only grows through seeking. A life of faith begins with and only grows through seeking. That it's, it's maybe obviously the starting point, but it's also a continuation throughout our lifelong journey of faith if we're going to keep growing in faith. And more than that, we want to talk about how I believe we are made to seek and even to find God. That God has designed us, made us to seek him and experience him. And to help us see this this morning, we want to uh, turn to the scriptures uh, together to discover God's intention for our seeking. And that the scriptures are full of stories of people seeking after God in all kinds of ways and often kind of fumbling their way uh, toward God. But we want to look at one particular story that if you have a Bible with you or you have your app, you can uh, open to Acts chapter 17. And uh, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, we have free Bibles at our Welcome Center. You can always pick up. Uh, but uh, as always, the words will be on the screen as well to follow along. And uh, we're going to look at Acts 17. This is a story about the famous Apostle Paul, uh, who is known for bringing the good news of Jesus to all of the Roman Empire in the first century. And this is a particular encounter he had uh, with the Greek philosophers in Athens. And so we're going to start here in uh, verse 16, where it says this. While Paul was waiting for his friends in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now we're going to pause there for a moment just to give you a little bit of context. You see, Athens in its day was considered sort of the epicenter 
of spiritual and philosophical thought. The people in Athens, they generally believed there were well, all kinds of gods and they needed to sort of understand and appease and accommodate all of them. And in fact, a, a little further down uh, in the, the passage, uh, actually in the text in verse 21 in parentheses, it says this. It says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. These people, they were kind of so spiritual in that sense. They loved spending all of their time. They did nothing else, it says, but muse about all of these ideas. Now, and, and, and something worth noting here is that the fact that they had all of this time to just think philosophically, it means there's probably some privilege and wealth at play. And again, when it comes to searching and seeking, I think sometimes we get that it comes from places of hurt and brokenness. But I think even for those of us who sometimes it looks like life is all put together, we have it kind of all arranged well, so often we're still longing for something more. And in this scenario, Paul walks through Athens and he sees all these idols. And for him, being brought up Jewish and converting to Christianity, he believed there was one God behind everything. And so this sort of distresses him and saddens him and disheartens him. Then it says here in verse 17, as it continues, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Now, what's interesting here is that as Paul starts to speak about the good news uh, that he's encountered, the experience he's had uh, with Jesus, uh, he comes across these kind of two groups of people that are described here, the Epicureans and the Stoics. And, and here's all you need to know about uh, these two groups of philosophers. Uh, the Epicureans, uh, they believed that uh, there were all kinds of gods, again, that they had to sort of please or appease in some way. And they believed the gods created the world and kind of put everything in motion. But now that the gods lived far away and actually didn't really care about humanity, they weren't interested in relating to humanity. Um, they weren't interested in saving humanity anyway. And they kind of had left humanity on its own. And so the Epicureans kind of thought, all we can do is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. We're on our own and all you can do is find as much pleasure, fun, fulfillment as you can, because that's it. The Epicureans were pleasure seekers. Now the Stoics, uh, they were a little bit different. Uh, the Stoics were essentially reasoners. And they as well believed in, in kind of many gods, but they believed the gods were in everything and could be sort of found and explained in everything. They believed that sort of logic ruled the day and that everything could be measured or evaluated based on sort of material evidence. And you might think of them kind of like the scientific community uh, today. But here's the thing. Uh, even if you don't think of yourself as a full-time philosopher, uh, welcome to the club. I think you're probably in good company. And yet I think in some ways, we can actually relate to the kind of seeking of at least one of these groups of people, if not both. You see, any time in our lives, uh, we're really focused on pursuing uh, the next promotion, the next purchase, or, 
We are trying to sort of establish a life of leisure and luxury. Or maybe sort of out of a desire to, to, for fun, we fall into the wrong, chasing the wrong crowd or dabble with harmful habits and substances. Or out of some sort of loneliness or desire or fantasy, we're pursuing unhealthy relationships or unfaithful relationships. In these pleasure-seeking ways, we're following the same path as the Epicureans. Or maybe it's in the ways that you feel like you need to have an answer for absolutely everything. And everything can and should be able to be explained. And that you believe the only things worth believing are those that we can prove. And if that's the case, we're following the, seeking the rational self-sufficiency of the Stoics. And frankly, in my life and my experience, I can relate to both of those kinds of seeking at different times. And it's in this context and this culture and to these audiences that as Paul continues, I believe we can learn something profound and powerful about what it means to seek a refreshing life of faith and spirituality this morning. The story continues like this. We're picking it up in verse 22. It says, Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus, and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. And what's interesting is this phrase, very religious, uh, the more literal translation can say, uh, I see that you are as superstitious as possible. You might say you're trying to cover your butts with all of these gods. And then he says, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. You don't even know uh, this God that you're after. You don't necessarily know what you are actually longing for and worshiping. And he says, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. It's saying that God has you here in time and space on purpose and even has you here this morning on purpose. And this is the kicker. This is the punchline this morning. It says that God's purpose was that they would seek him, seek after him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. God's purpose was that they would seek after him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. That is the heart of this message this morning. That God's plan and design is for us to seek and find our way toward him. No matter where we've been looking so far. And I love how Paul meets uh, this, these people right where they're at. Right in their culture. Right in their longings and their desires. And even in their idols. Saying there is a God behind all of this. Even if you don't know it. Even if you don't know that's what you've been looking for. Another translation uh, describes this, this last verse here this way. It says, uh, it's as though we're feeling our way toward God. And some of the commentaries uh, Refer to it as, as groping around in the dark for something you're looking for. And in this case, for, for our deepest longing. And it makes me think of it this way. Um, think of a time when you woke up in the middle of the night 
and you needed to go maybe to, to the kitchen or to the bathroom or something. And, you know, you wake up and your eyes start opening and you've been sleeping, but it's still dark and you're kind of rubbing the sleep out of your eyes. And it takes a moment for our eyes to adjust again to the darkness. Our pupils are getting bigger and eventually we can see enough shadows to make our way out of the bedroom. And then maybe you get into the hallway and uh, maybe there's a nightlight in the hallway or in the bathroom that provides this sort of warm glow, now giving you a little more visibility to hopefully help you make your way to the bathroom without stubbing your toe. Then you get into the bathroom and you uh, start bringing up the dimmer switch just, just a little bit, just enough to allow your eyes to adjust that much further as you keep sort of focusing on the space around you. And then eventually you can flick the lights all the way on to be able to uh, do whatever you need to do or find whatever it is uh, you are looking for. Now, how long does that experience you know, normally take? It's maybe a minute, maybe, maybe two minutes at most. But what I want you to imagine is you think through that experience of your eyes kind of adjusting to the light over the course of a minute and now extrapolate that over an, an entire lifetime when it comes to seeking God. And I think when God says we're to feel our way towards him, grope around to find him, we have a lifetime of searching. And in, in the context of eternity, it's, it's kind of even bigger and, and maybe more complex in that sense because somewhere else Paul writes that we, in this life, on this side of eternity, we're seeing through a glass darkly. And we're actually waiting for the day that Christ returns to flick on all the lights for us to see everything as it's meant to be. But for now, we are made to seek and keep on seeking, not just at the beginning of faith, but throughout an entire lifetime of a constantly refreshing faith experience. Now, maybe uh, you're tracking now with this idea of the role that seeking plays in a life of faith. Um, and that God has maybe mapped it out and designed it to be this way. But if that's the case, it does raise a couple of challenging questions for us. And the first one might be, well, what, what happens if I look in the wrong places? Or, or what if I look and I, I kind of come up empty or I don't find, maybe because I'm looking in the wrong places? And a couple things I'd say to that. Number one is that uh, the scriptures... And frankly, the church in its history, in its presence, in its present, and probably to some degree in its future are actually full of examples of people seeking after God and occasionally turning up in the wrong places. But we see God's grace at work when we intentionally seek him, continue to guide us toward him. So I'd say get to know the stories of the scriptures and participate in the life of the church to have them be signposts toward God. Also, I believe God's given us an instinct. We would say as Christ followers, when we put our trust in Jesus, God gives us his Holy Spirit as a guide. And I think we all know uh, what kind of paths tend to lead to brokenness and destruction and pain. And God's wanting to draw us towards the places that bring life and peace and wholeness. And I would say overall that we, we should be trying to look in the places that smell like Jesus. Get to know the character of Jesus and then look in the places that look like, sound like, and smell like him. Now the second question about God's design for us to seek after him and perhaps feel our way toward him and find him. This question probably cuts a little more uh, to the core. Especially depending on what you're going through and where life is at or a life of faith is at for you right now. Especially if it's, it's kind of a bumpy road. And that question is this, 
Shouldn't God have just made this whole thing easier and a lot more obvious? Why do we have to try to relate to an invisible God and try to understand his plans and his purposes for our lives and for the church and kind of be figuring it out along the way? Couldn't, couldn't it have just been all easier and more obvious in some fashion? And my most honest and raw answer is simply, maybe, I don't know. Sometimes I, I wish for that as well, but I want to trust that, that God's ways are better than my ways. And when I follow that line of thinking a little bit, and around here we believe that God is a God of love who wants to relate to us in this reciprocal loving relationship. Now I think maybe that's exactly what God is after. Us having a free will to choose to pursue him, to look for him, to embrace the journey of trying to relate to him and get to know him. You think about any relationship you've ever had, any friendship, romantic relationship, marriage. It is a journey of getting to know the other person, this endless discovery of who they are and what they're about. And over time, you begin to realize it's the journey that it's the point. It's the journey out of which the love is born. And in a way that maybe we don't always understand, God has seen fit for us to slowly but surely move our way toward him. So we learn to see him in the things that are true, good, and beautiful. But here's the good news in all of this. The good news this morning is that God has actually not left us just to our own devices and incompetencies when it comes to seeking. You see, I believe that God is actually seeking us as much or more than we are seeking him. I believe that God has actually revealed the search, the mystery of our search in the person and work of Jesus, in his life, in his love, in his sacrificial death and his supernatural resurrection. That's where we see the character of God. In another letter, the apostle Paul wrote that Christ, Jesus, who is the Christ or the savior, is the visible image of the invisible God. That when we see Jesus, we see God. And when we seek Jesus, we are seeking God. And when we get to know and learn from and relate to Jesus, we are getting to know and learning from and relating to God. That is the good news of God's revelation and God's seeking after us through what Jesus has done and what he's all about. And so what do we do with this? How can we seek Jesus more intentionally in a way to, to find the heart of God? I want to give us just uh, three action steps that hopefully uh, provide some guidance, things we could start doing differently uh, this week in our seeking. The first is that I believe we need to seek with ruthless honesty. That seeking begins with ruthless honesty. That authentic faith starts with authentic seeking. That God is not interested in any pretending or faking it or trying to act like we have it all together or figured out. God wants us to just come as we are so he can meet us exactly as we are. Pastor and theologian Greg Boyd, he says it this way. He says, biblical faith is grounded. The kind of, the kind of faith we see in the scriptures, it's grounded in a willingness to be honest with ourselves and with God about whatever questions, doubts, or complaints we may have. God wants us to be ourselves as we seek. And this leads to the second step I want to talk about this morning. 
And that is to seek with relentless questioning. To seek with relentless questioning. To be okay. In fact, to be deliberate about bringing all of our questions to God. And all of our questions to a faith community. If you thought the Christian life was actually only about having all of the answers or that you can only quote Bible verses and not ask questions, if you, if you feel that way, I will invite you to start by quoting Psalm 10 verse 1 where it says, Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? Why God? Why is it this way? Why is it so hard? Where are you God? A life of faith, a journey of faith, the Christian experience is filled with the art of asking honest and relentless questions. And thirdly, and this one uh, is maybe the most significant, but probably also the most challenging because it requires the most reorientation and even disrupting of our lives to do some things differently. I would say we need to seek with routine practicing. And what I mean by that is that we actually need to do some reordering of our lives to make space for the spiritual and the seeking in our lives. That we need to make space in our heart and our mind, but we also need to make space in our time and our priorities. Getting off the sort of treadmill of work, play, eat, sleep, repeat, and actually make space for reading, for listening, Discussing, praying, worshiping, gathering, serving, giving, and participating in a life of faith together. And we believe it's all to be done in relationship. A relationship that the church community fosters and facilitates. As I wrap up, I want to share a story uh, that I think paints a really beautiful picture about some of this intentional seeking Sort of find your way toward God. And it's a real life story and it's a real time story uh, in progress in our community these days. It's a story about a guy named Matt who uh, has been uh, sort of around our church and engaged with our community for about seven months since the, since the beginning of the year. And uh, Matt is a guy who, he didn't grow up in uh, sort of a, a faith experience, didn't grow up going to church, not a lot of religious uh, influence, wasn't really familiar with Jesus. Really, the only sort of perspectives he had on church were uh, from Christians he encountered and headlines he had seen. And frankly, it kind of made him feel like religion probably only did uh, more harm than good. For most of his life, Matt would have considered himself agnostic, believing we can't really know God, so there's no point in trying to figure it out. But at the end of the last year, at the end of last year, Matt found himself in a pretty tough space. Due to some pain he had experienced from his family and some pain he had caused people in his life, he was kind of at at rock bottom. He actually told me about a party he was at uh, last December with a bunch of his friends, but he looked around the room and he couldn't believe the kind of hurt he had caused some of these people closest to him. And he got to the point where he said he was ready to try anything to experience a refreshed life in some way. And if he was going to try anything, that was going to include church. And so he got in touch with his buddy uh, whose family has been a part of our Welland location for quite some time. And Matt attended his first ever church service on Sunday, January 6, 2019, the first Sunday of this year, where we had a starting point service all about what it would look like to explore Jesus this year. 
And although Matt's life was not fixed in a service, as I, I don't think is often the case, he found himself overwhelmed and didn't understand why he was in tears in the midst of the song, See the Love, which doesn't actually refer to God and Jesus by name, but I think articulates and expresses his love and teaching as good or better than many others. And from that moment on, Matt was determined to seek whatever it was behind this song and behind this community. He began altering his Sunday morning routine in order to attend our gatherings of worship and teaching. He met with Chris Fowler, his location pastor, to ask questions and to seek guidance on where he might go from here, leading him to get connected with a men's life group. He wanted to plug in and serve to be a part of the good that he saw in action. And he got some advice that said, uh, if you're going to do anything sort of in that vein in the next six months, uh, go to our shelter rock climbing night. And Matt went and he was blown away by the diversity and the love and the acceptance and the encouragement of this eclectic group of rock climbers in a gym on a Tuesday night. As a philosophy and a poli-sci student at Brock, Matt's a person who asks a lot of questions and he works hard at processing his experiences. And although he wasn't sure what he actually believed about Jesus in these experiences so far, he told me that he got to a point where he decided to live as if God and Jesus were who he started to hear that they were and hoped they could be in his life. And to me, that's one of the most profound acts of faith. That sometimes in our lives, in our journeys, we need to just live as if God is who we hope he could be. Fast forward a few months and Matt found himself joining us once again for a Sunday service. It was March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. And on that day uh, in our worship, we were leaning into the prayer of St. Patrick, asking Christ to be all around us. As part of that experience, uh, we shared communion together as this sacred symbol of the, the body and, and life and death of Jesus. His presence among us and his presence in our inmost being. And as Matt sat there, uh, he thought to himself that so far this was the kind of experience he would just sit back and observe and not participate in. But in that moment, on that Sunday, I wonder if both by the prompting of a God who is eager to find him, as well as Matt's intentional desire to keep seeking the God he was eager to find, he actually chose to step out of his seat and make his way down the aisle. With each step, he wasn't sure what he was doing. But with each step, somehow he felt invited by and increasingly closer to the presence of Christ. Till finally, in an act of what I would call simultaneous seeking and believing, he received a small piece of bread he dipped it in the shared cup of juice and he ate it as an act of faith in the God revealed in Jesus. And in that moment, although it's hard for him to fully articulate, and I've seen Matt get choked up a couple of times when he's described this story, Matt would say he experienced, sensed, encountered, tasted, or was surrounded by the palpable presence of Christ. It was felt in the mysteriously ordinary combination of bread and juice. It was spoken in the beautiful invitation of grace and forgiveness and the songs we sang. And it was present in those leading worship and the community participating all around him. In that moment beyond what I can fully comprehend or explain, Matt seemed to find Christ and Christ seemed to find Matt. And as Matt continues his journey of seeking, uh, 
he'd be the first to say that it hasn't all been as obvious and easy as that going forward. In fact, in the last couple months, he said it hasn't been quite as palpable. And Matt's been wrestling with, with a decision like to, to get baptized, which is something we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. But he's really wrestling with the lifelong invitation and calling that Jesus offers to our lives. And in the midst of that wrestling match, my encouragement to Matt, and in the midst of any of our wrestling matches, my encouragement to us is simply welcome to the journey. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the faith. Welcome to a chance to be refreshed. Welcome to a lifelong journey of seeking. Because the truth is, I'm still seeking as well. And I firmly believe that seeking is the first step in a life of faith. But it's also a never-ending mandatory component of a life of faith. A prerequisite and a perpetual priority to our spiritual growth and our following of Jesus. In my life, there are days when I feel lost. And there are days when I struggle and there are days when I question There are days when it seems like God is nowhere to be found. But in my experience over time, I've discovered that when I deliberately keep on seeking, somehow in some way, I tend to end up finding God or maybe more accurately, God finds me. Or what might be most true of all is that I once again wake up to the reality that the God of love who revealed himself in Jesus was there all along. As I learn and I grow and I seek, I just keep realizing I need to keep on seeking and it thrills me more than any old game of hide and seek. So may we be a community of seekers for the first time, for the first time since your first time, for the millionth time, may we look for And may we find the one we truly seek.